there is only one reason and one situation where failure should be truly painful. And that is when you know you have not done your best. If you feel that based on who I am, based on my capabilities, based on the conditions that I had to work under, okay, I really, really tried my best. Obviously, I can always try better, but I really, really tried. There is no reason to be disappointed with failure. Failure is inevitable if you have ambition. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Stefan Falk. Stefan is an internationally recognized executive coach and the author of Intrinsic Motivation, Learn to Love Your Work, and Succeed as Never Before. Stefan is also a human performance expert for top business executives, the special operations community in the armed forces, and elite athletes. He has spent more than 30 years helping thousands of individuals, teams, and organizations become intrinsically motivated. Stefan has held C-suite roles at several global companies and has been responsible for driving corporate transformations valued in excess of $2 billion. His leadership and human performance techniques have been developed in continuous cooperation with leading scientists in fields including neuroscience, behavioral science, and psychology. Today on the show, we discuss what intrinsic motivation is and why it's so important, how to get excited about a goal you want to pursue, why you must love what you do professionally, how to avoid the pain of failure, how to effectively navigate uncertainty and negativity, why achieving daily goals is so valuable, how to know when it's time to quit a job, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Stefan Falk to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Stefan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Doug. It's a pleasure being here. I'm excited to chat with you. I know you are one of the leading experts on intrinsic motivation. Before we dive deeper into your work and talk more about how people can become intrinsically motivated so that they can perform their best, so they can achieve their goals, um, let's start with like what is intrinsic motivation and why is it so important? So thanks, Doug. Uh, so intrinsic motivation... Um... It, you're in, in the situation of intrinsic motivation when you're uh, engaged in a task where actually the reward is the experience the task gives you. This is opposed to being extrinsically motivated where you basically perform a task because of the fame or the money or whatever you're going to get. Okay? Now, we are not void of any... So it's a question of sort of balance. Okay? if I'm doing this because of intrinsic motivation or extrinsic motivation. So that's what it is. It's the experience of being engaged in the activity that is the intrinsic motivation. And then with that said, um, like how do, we, um, how, do we, how do we get excited about something that we're doing so that you know, if we're trying to achieve something like um, flourishing in our career maybe it's a weight loss journey maybe it's improving a relationship i mean these are just these are these are just some examples like how do we get excited about that process well i think fundamentally um 
we tend to get excited um, over things that we know something about. That's the problem when we meet something that's new, that doesn't naturally interest us. So for instance, if you want to engage in weight loss, or you want to go to the gym, whatever, and, and start to do it, and you have not done that before, one way, very good way to, to start to do that is actually to start to read about it. Start to read about, you know, doing uh, exercises in the gym, start to read a little bit about the body, how the body functions and all these things, you know, so you get some knowledge. Because knowledge in itself, of course, gives you more ideas for how to pursue it. But it's also, the more knowledge you have, it's almost like you, you gain access and, and you feel that this area is your property. And, and what we own, we tend to be, you know, cherish a lot. So that's one good, good way to do it. And then when we pursue it, so let's say you're going to go to the gym the first time. Uh, it's always good to think about what do I want to achieve this time? To have some kind of target for it and then some kind of tactics. And, and also think about maybe a contingency planning. So what happens if I get too tired? Okay, how am I going to keep on track and all these things? So it, it's a little bit about being mentally prepared for what you're going to do and then have a plan for it. It's also very good uh, to stay excited to, for instance, find a buddy. Someone that actually can do this together with you. That works equally well, you know, in the professional environment, you know, when you work together with a colleague. Why not be sort of a coach to each other? So there's something around, you know, gaining, reading, understanding, understanding the context, the topic itself. And then when you pursue it, having some kind of mental plan and target for it. Right. And I want to get into the the mental plan and the target here in a second. But I think a lot of times when people are looking to start something new, they're having a hard time like getting invested in something that they know they need to do for the benefit of their life. Like using, you know, the gym as an example. A lot of people they know that they need to exercise, they know the benefits of exercise, but they're just they're, it's hard for them to get excited about it. How can somebody begin to get excited about something without necessarily um, like gaining knowledge ab ab about it? Or is it just, do you, or do you feel that, that, that they have to read about it and it's not possible any other way? Well, I think, I think that way is more like the bulletproof way of doing it. Um, I also think there's an element here to understand. I mean, if we take a step back and we, we sort of ask ourselves, why do we have the capability of intrinsic motivation you know as as human beings well it's there because of purposeful design because intrinsic motivation leads to that we are learn and develop ourselves and and very much so we learn and develop for the benefit of ourselves and for others so it's there from some kind of you know evolutionary survival strategy that's why the brain rewards us when we are in the moment of intrinsic motivation. The big complication here is that even though the brain rewards us for spending energy, it rewards us even more for saving energy. So we are fundamentally lazy. And being sort of energy conserving has been far more important evolutionary for our survival than spending energy okay so we have to understand that so that means that the brain comes up with so many excuses in our head 
for not pursuing spending energy. It happens to me, I have, I'm built the same way as anyone else. The way I think about it, as soon as I start to doubt that, should I really do this? Should I take on this challenge now? Okay, I have so many things I have to do and all these things. I just say to myself, okay, now it's time to watch television. Now I'm going to watch the primitive part of my brain coming up with all these excuses, but it's actually not me coming up with them. So you have a dialogue with yourself. That's one way to do it. And I, and I find, Doug, that this is an element I always share with my clients. I talk a lot about how the brain works. And, and I see that just the knowledge of knowing that gives you a better you know, starting point to actually deal with yourself. So I think that's, that's an important part. Now, the question is, how do you do this if you don't learn anything about the topic or whether you do it best practice? Well, I find that one of the smartest ways to quickly get your head around something and find excitement in it is to work with the element of time. So, for instance, if you're doing something that you have done a few times and you think it's super boring and uh, it usually takes you two, two hours to do it, cut it down to half an hour. And then you ask yourself, okay, what if I just spent half an hour doing this, but aim for the same type of result? All of a sudden, it's not the activity itself that matters. It's actually solving that problem. And that's the basis for intrinsic motivation. That's when we are involved in solving a challenging problem that interests us. So you're saying to cut down on the amount of time we spend like like doing something, you know, whether it's a task. So instead of like going to the gym, for instance, for two hours, which would seem completely probably unreasonable for most people when they're starting out, the more realistic thing to do would be to go to the gym for 20, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yes, do that, do that. And try to then at the same time, maximize the benefit of those 20, 25, 30 minutes. Right, okay. And, and then so like just staying on the topic of this fitness example, and then we're going to switch gears in a second, talking about intrinsic motivation as it relates to achieving a fitness goal. What are some examples of some things that people can pay attention to, to intrinsically motivate them so that they're not as focused on the external stuff that motivates them when they're on a fitness journey? You're talking about now the specifics of, of, of physical fitness, you know, how to be intrinsically motivated by that, continuing that. So we go back to what I said about every time you engage in physical exercise, try to have some kind of, you know, outcome in mind. This is what I want, want to create and this is going to be a plan for that. Now, depending on what you do, there are some classical stuff. If you're out jogging, for instance, um, and you're going to jog for six miles or five miles or three miles or whatever it is, uh, you can view that in sort of, you know, steps, okay? So uh, first of all, the first thing I'm going to think about is just the first half mile, okay? That's the only thing I'm going to think about, okay? When I, th that's your first little victory. You pass the half mile, you know, mark or whatever it is. Then I'm going to focus on the next, you know, uh, uh, next half mile and so forth. So you make, break it down so you have steps and you can celebrate those steps every way. That's, that's also a smart way to do it. And, and that's also a fallback option. Let's say that you feel really strong before you go out. I was jogging before. Now my, my niece is not really you know, in the best shape. 
Uh, and I felt really strong, you know, yeah, today I'm just going to run my seven miles, that's going to go out. And then when I come out, I just feel that I'm much more tired than I actually cognitively or consciously felt. Then I need to switch gears and in, in terms of how I think about how to push myself through that. I might start to count, you know, the next tree I'm passing, the next tree I'm passing, the next tree I'm passing and so forth, okay. And it's, it's a little bit about distracting your mind to focus on the fact that you're tired. And focus on something else, okay? Which in my case then was the trees, you know, basically it. So it seems like the the goal of all this is to take your mind off of the actual task at hand and have you focus on on something else, whether that's just like a you use the running example, not necessarily focus on the fact that you're running, but focus on the distance or that you're looking to achieve in in, in small doses, focusing on like an object if you're outside, you know, passing that object. And I guess this all kind of blends in with the importance of um, of paying attention to or, or mastering the, the baby steps when looking to achieve something and do something. Like, why is this so important? Well, it, it is important because I personally view when you're in that state, uh, I mean, there's so many books written about the brain and, and very much it's sort of portrayed as being this fantastic, you know, extraordinary thing that you have in your head. I find that the brain very often acts more like a stubborn teenager uh, that just, you know, refuses to collaborate with me. Okay. And, and that, that happens to me in many situations. And I think um, the combination of facing something that you, for whatever reason, view as a high-stakes situation in combination with being low on energy, okay, is, for me at least, and I think for many of my clients, a situation where you basically feel clueless about, you know, how to pursue this that you need to do. And uh, so it doesn't matter. I remember when I was, um, I was finishing the book, uh, I only had like three chapters to write, and I had you know, some tweaks to some other chapters. So compared to everything I've done, it was like a tiny little thing. But when I started to, to write the chapter, I already knew what they were about. It, it's almost like every word I wrote, my, my mind was telling me, oh, this is useless, you know. Why do you write this? This is not even valuable. This is just like common sense. I mean, stop doing that, okay? So whatever I did, my, my brain was like punishing me. Nothing was good enough. And obviously that led to me, uh, you know, having poor sleep because I didn't feel I had any progress. So of course, waking up the day after, you know, I was not fit to write or whatever. So I just like, yes, I need to have another sort of approach to this. So instead of them focusing so, focusing so much on actually what I was producing, I was just promising myself that, okay, today I'm going to spend 20 minutes writing. And I'm not going to care so much about what I actually achieved. What I'm going to do is celebrating the time spent, okay? And then I made sure that after those 20 minutes, I had another maybe half an hour, you know, spot in my calendar, should I come into some kind of flow, okay? That took me one week before I even start, my brain even started to acknowledge that what I was doing was actually pretty good, okay? The interesting thing, if I go back, if I, I and then I went back and checked, some stuff I uh, written before that my brain just said this is complete crap. It was actually pretty good, and that's interesting. You know how how the brain works. That the same type of result now when I'm in completely different mode actually looks pretty good. But back then it didn't look good, probably because there was too much of a delta between what I wanted to aspire 
and how I felt, my energy level. So that's baby step. Baby step is basically, if you feel that whatever you're doing is not good enough, just spend time doing it, don't care about the results, and eventually things are going to turn around. But don't wait, don't wait, because then it leads to even more stress if you have a deadline. You have to start right away, spend those 15, 20 minutes, and that's it. And I guess this could also apply to when you feel like you've um, like lost the spark, like lost the excitement in something that you're doing, um, whether it be a job, whether it be a passion project, whether it be something that you feel feeling like you're intrinsically motivated, you find that just focusing on like this, like small baby steps each and every day will help you become, um, you know, excited and motivated again about what you're doing, or do you, do you find, or do you, or there are, or do you believe that there are other strategies that are better to help people kind of relight that fire? I, I think, especially if, you, if you're a person that, you know, have, you know, high level aspirations and you also put a lot of effort behind them, eventually you will end up in a place where you are low on energy, uh, where it's, simply impossible for you to sustain you know your efforts and all these things and 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 when you're when we're low on energy um we we very often move into some kind of non-activity <laughs> what happens in the brain then is that we start to uh, ruminate um and, and the part of the brain called the default mode network uh, which is basically the center for daydreaming and fantasizing and all these things and we should spend about 30 percent of our time in that when we spend more time in that we start to ruminate and um, so when i'm there i can start to think about oh yesterday was such a beautiful thing i met dog and we had this podcast and i felt really you know we had a good conversation all those things and the more i think about it okay the more i mm, was it that good? You know, maybe I should have said that instead, or maybe I should have this instead, or whatever it is. So it starts to get darker and darker the more you think about it. So an important thing when you're low on energy is, and it's a version of baby steps, is to move into action. It, and it doesn't have to be anything, you know, significant. So for instance, waking up one day and you're empty of energy, you're going to go to work, um, Start with some simple stuff that day, if you have that within your power to shape that. Start with just like, hmm, I'm going to spend the first hour and a half just checking my emails. Okay? See if there's anything interesting in that. Anything I should answer right away or whatever. If there are some brainless tasks I need to do, maybe send some meeting invites or something else, you know, some administration. I would do that. So you start to build yourself back into the game, so to speak. And so why is taking that, like, why is... Um like doing something like that, taking action, like why is that so beneficial for somebody who's feeling um, like a bit low energy and burnt out? Like, does it signal the brain that you're actually moving forward? Does it signal the brain that you're actually doing something positive? Like, why is it so effective? Well, I think uh, activity in itself, and especially if there's some kind of, you know, goal related to it. So for instance, say I'm going to spend the first an hour and a half reading all my emails and I'm going to answer at least like two or three of them that are most important. That's sort of a goal that you have. Um, what happens then is that you, you activate what is called in the brain the effort-driven reward circuit, which is like serot uh, serotonin and dopamine and whatever it is. So, so it actually your brain, you start to feel better about yourself. So th that, that's it. And I, and I think also um, 
the power of, of having a goal, uh, it's actually the same thing as making a decision. And when we have made the decision psychologically, uh, we feel more in control. And feeling in control is very energizing for us because control also gives us an idea of which actually is a, is a delusion of predictability. But, you know, so, so that there's something going on here that, that um, you know, just decide to do something, have a little bit of a goal for what to achieve. And it could be completely, you know, low level aspiration. That, that's not the point. The point is in, in, to engage in that type of activity, okay, to turn, you know, turn yourself back into a more, you know, preppy, yes can do type of uh, mentality or mood. And I think a lot of times what happens is people, they get low energy, they get burned out when they are faced with um, an immense amount of uncertainty, whether it's uncertainty financially, professionally, like personally, and people are just hyper emotional during those times because they're, you know, they're in fight or flight, they're in survival mode. Um, how can somebody kind of bring themselves back from um, that emotional state and start to begin more, begin to think more logically so that they can identify some small things they can do to get themselves out of it? Like, how can somebody begin to navigate uncertainty in a way that's healthy? I probably think, I, I think uncertainty is probably that area in life uh, that affects us most the experience of uncertainty. And I think that's from evolutionary reasons because historically, evolutionary, uncertainty could have meant death for us, you know, in the environment we come from. So we have, the brain is built with an absolute need to know because not knowing could have been a disaster for us. At the same time, if you really think about it, there is no such thing as certainty. I mean, we have a conversation right now uh, you know, there's no certainty that I know what's going to happen in 10 minutes. You know, the, the roof can cave in here in the building or whatever, you know, there's no absolute certainty. The problem with um, uncertainty is that the brain obviously views that as something super negative. And the brain then can hijack us and just look at the stuff in our lives that we have some kind of perceived uncertainty around. So let's say, what could it be in my case? Well, I, let's go back when I had my first podcast and I, I'm not been, you know, really into this space because I've been so busy and doing my stuff. Obviously, that's a new situation for me, um, a new situation. I don't have much routine for it and whatever. So, so it's like it's, it's an uncertain situation. So the first time, you know, a few months back, um, obviously, I have the sense that next week, you know, it's not a good week. And I'm like, mm, I don't have a good feeling for next week. And then what I do, what I always do, I need to do some analysis and try to understand where this feeling comes from. So I look at the coming week and then I say, of course, yeah, I have this podcast on Thursday. So the brain has this ability to, to force us to focus on the stuff that's negative or uncertain in our lives. So the first step to deal with uncertainty is to identify the source for it. Okay. And see where it really comes from. Now, the second step uh, is to then take that event or that situation or whatever it is and take just the white sheet of paper and then you write horizontally three headlines on it. 
So for instance, um, in my case with the podcast, um, the question on top could be, um, how should I behave in the, top cast, uh, in the podcast next Thursday? And then the three headlines are, what am I certain about I should do? What do I believe I should do, but I'm not certain about? And what am I clueless about I should do, okay? And then basically write down everything I'm certain about I should do, which could be I'm going to stress certain messages, this is how I'm going to behave and so forth, blah, blah, blah. It could be a, a gazillion different things. What do I believe that I should do, but I'm not certain about? And what am I clueless about? And the first thing that anyone will see when you do such a list for an uncertain situation is that you know a lot of things you know, that you should do, that you're certain about. You know a few things that you're not certain about, and then very few things you're clueless about. So it gives you sort of a balanced view of it. I th- I know. So when it comes to uncertainty, I think sometimes what happens is they have a hard time like controlling their emotional state during those times, and they end up like ruminating over the uncertain thing, and that ends up spiraling into something else. Like, what have been some of your best practices, just from a, a physiological point of view, from like calming down your your nervous system um, when you're in a state of fight or flight so that you can get to this place to you know make the checklist that you just talked about now I, th- I think you know a given one we have already talked about a few things i mean what we talked about right now being more granular more analytical to understand the uncertainty itself obviously then you know the usual suspects uh, physical exercise is fantastic as a stress relief um, it's also a very good way to tap into you know, your unconscious mind, you know, that make that work on that uncertainty and chances are that you actually will come up with some really interesting, you know, ideas for how to deal with uncertainty without putting any effort into it. Because the conscious mind, when we think about something, often has sort of a tunnel, you know, vision on it. It only draws on the knowledge we think are relevant for solving the problem, whereas the unconscious mind have, have sort of access to the whole brain, so to speak. So, so that's a good thing. A thing that I find almost fascinating, and it's a negative thing, is that when we are in the bad place, we very often become secluded. Instead of doing what we should do, that is to reach out to people and engage you know, in, in conversations with people about ourselves, how we feel about things, okay? Uh, and also, if you have a chance, um, you know, work with someone or be with someone that you actually help. This is interesting because we we talked about this a little bit earlier, that one of the things that, for instance, people that go through BUDS or like Hell Week or whatever, Navy SEALs, that seems to be a successful strategy, is to help a fellow participant, you know, while they are under that extreme stress, okay? Because it gives you some kind of relief from your own problems. And if you are capable of helping the other person, you also get the helper's high, which basically is a kick for yourself. And also a feedback loop back to yourself that you're actually very capable. And that's positive energy to use back into your own situation. Yeah, helping other people is so beneficial, especially when you're going through hard times, because, you know, it gets you to, um, you know, yeah, what refocus. Do you, why do you think I have my, or you think I have my, my job, my profession? Is to forget about myself a little bit, yeah? 
Yeah, but can't that be pro- become problematic though long term if you do you ever feel like you're like escaping though if you're just you keep yourself so busy with helping other people? No, I, I you know what I think um, I I you know in in my my youth I was heavily into philosophy and stuff and the theory of science and research and and uh, and and I there was this uh, what, what, old like um, I think Austrian philosopher Friedrich Hegel. Uh, and he said that, that the smallest part human being are two human beings because we, we give each other identity. So even if my work is to help others, it becomes a mirror to myself. You become a mirror to me, okay? So I learn, I learn a lot about myself by, for instance, helping you. In my work, I, I would say being a coach, one of the most important things is to, so if I work with a client that is really struggling with, could be sort of a big turnaround of a company or whatever it is, and, and is in agony and finds it difficult and finds it almost impossible or whatever, one of the most important things is that I need to be able to put myself in the same type of emotional state by thinking about stuff in my life that's been somewhat similar emotionally. Otherwise, my advice to him or her would just, could be directionally right, but the challenge my advice represents is too high. I need to be in that emotional space myself. Otherwise, it will not work. And so I guess shifting gears just a little bit, um, but kind of lo- along the same lines of what we were just talking about, when it comes to problem solving, um, I feel like a lot of times people, they just get stuck on the problem, right? They, our brain is wired to just stay focused on the negativity like we've talked about. So if it's, you know, they lose their job, Instead of being like, how can I go out and get a new job? How can I potentially like talk to my boss, see if I get my job back? How can I X, Y, and Z? It's like, I just lost my job. I lost my job. I lost my job. And that's all they, all people can focus on. What are some ways that people, because I know you talk about this, that can, they can begin to, you know, transform that energy into being solution oriented. Um, like what kind of steps can somebody take to do that? Well, I think it, it, it's sort of obviously, and, and this is a common sense, you know, answer. Uh, obviously, it's really good to take, you know, preventive measures. You know, um, you know, should you lose your job, and one of the most important preventive measures is that you continuously, you know, develop yourself in your in your your job, so you actually, you know, secure your employability. That's one thing. Because one thing we know about business, and especially how business is run, is that it's going to happen. Okay bad decisions are going to be made, okay? Now, <clears throat> the most important thing when you face a failure, whether it's an existential failure or something else, is to snap out of that emotional intoxication and really sit down and think about what actually caused the failure. What is within your area of responsibility and what was actually factors beyond your area of responsibility? So, so, so you become mindful about it and not just this inflated, I'm a big failure, I'm a useless and all these things, okay? Because that's simply not true for most people on this planet, okay? So, so first, divide it, you know, okay, these are the factors I could not control. Some of the factors probably I could have been a little bit more mindful in figuring out that they actually would come you know, into play at some point. Okay, mm, I didn't do that. That's a good learning. I will take that with me going on, go, going forward. And then what are the things that I should have done differently? Okay, so you take charge of that analysis. And then based on that, 
I, I just think if you do that in somewhat a proper way, um, I think your appetite in going out and meeting other people and, you know, talking about what you experienced and also talking about, you know, what you want to do, go, go forward is much better if you have a narrative that actually is well thought through. Okay. It's a little bit the same thing as making a decision, you know, clarity of where I come from, why I am, where I am and where I want to go. It, it helps you to go more into action. One, one interesting thing is that when, when we look at, for instance, uh, people lost their job and then they start to, to uh, look for a new job and they start to do interviewing and all these things. There is this study, that is, I don't know if it's 20 years old, when they did an experiment. So they had like 100 people or whatever that lost their job and 50 of them, they, they, they did daily journaling. So they basically journaled around, you know, the experiences losing their job, but also around, you know, the, the job seeking process, okay? And the ratio of people that actually got a new job in this group compared to the other one was like sky high compared to it, okay? So I think the learning from why it happened, I lost my job, what's my part, what's someone else's part, and then pursuing a new situation, a new job in the learning mode, I think is very, very important. Because then, then the frustration of not getting a job becomes a little bit less if you make sure that you learn something from the process from the interviewing process, for instance. Yeah, and I think a lot of times what happens is like during those situations, people feel powerless, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe this happened to me and what am I gonna do moving forward? And you almost get entrenched in this victim mentality. And I think we've, I've definitely been there. And I think the only way out, the only way to gain your power back is to not only figure out like what's the path forward, but it's also to figure out like lessons learned from that situation and the role that you played in it, like you hear this a lot in like relationships, like when a breakup happens, it's like, you know, the, the initial thing somebody wants to do is to blame their partner for the relationship ending instead of looking in the mirror and saying, okay, like I acknowledge that my partner did this, but what did I do and what can I learn from this and how can I grow into a better version of myself to not just, you know, learn from the situation, but to move forward and find something, you know, in the future. Um, and I think on the opposite side of that, I think what happens now um, in the professional world, just from what I've what I've heard, is that sometimes a lot of times when people they feel like they're not they don't like their job, they're not excited about it, so they'll feel like, well, I'm just not meant to do this, and they'll just quit and they'll find something else. Um, what is your opinion on that? And like, should somebody like actually love what they do if they're going to be in a profession? When I get the question, uh, you know, is it really necessary to love what I do? I, I, I don't think it's particularly interesting or whatever it is. It's interesting that that question I only get from people that are, I would say, sort of say, not successful. Okay. <laughs> people that are successful, they never ask that question because they know it. And, and this is like, if I would rewrite the book today, the, the only difference in the book is that it would be peppered with quotes from Steve Jobs, because that guy, he really got it with intrinsic motivation. It's like he's way out there. He's way out there. He's like magnificent. And he said that you really need to love what you do, because that's the only way that you will be willing to take charge of all the tough parts that you need to take, heart, uh, take, take charge of 
in what you do. Otherwise, you will not do that. Uh, and you will not be able to deal with failure if you don't learn what you do. You will never sort of accept failure. And you will not accept the scar tissue you get. And you will not get back up on your feet. So you need to do that. Now, the, the question is that, do you need to love everything you do? There is, there is a simple, simple, simple you know, proxy you should use. And that is, and, and most people lack this. Um, what are my aspirations with my life? You know, who do I want to become? What do I want to achieve in life? And I'm not talking about next week. I'm talking more long term. And then, and then just ask yourself, okay, these things I don't like now. I don't enjoy. How important are they in, in the big schemes for my long-term ambition? If they are important, I just need to bite the bullet and find a way to make them exciting. Okay, otherwise, I, I, you know, it's either or. Either I can need to forget about my aspirations and be honest with myself. I'm not going to work toward them. I love them, but I'm not going to work because I'm not going to you know, deal with these things. Or I just need to say, okay, I need to find a way to make this exciting that I don't like. And the thing is that most people deal with tasks like, you know, you know the, the Greek philosopher Aristotle, you know, he, he didn't know what gravity was. So he, he explained that, you know, the reason why a rock is on the ground is because that's the purpose of the rock. Okay. The, the rock had an identity. It was supposed to be on, on that. Most people deal with tasks, situations like that. This is a boring situation. For instance, a department meeting. Oh, I, I hate my department meetings. No, it's not like the department meeting says, hello, Doug, I'm department meeting and I'm super boring. No, it's the way you think about it, yeah? And, and the ultimate evidence of that is that the other person might love those department meetings, but you hate them. So loving something has all to do with how you think about it. Yeah, I mean, it's that perspective is definitely super important when it comes to um, circumstances like that. I think... Um, just playing the devil's advocate a little bit on that in that while obviously being intrinsically motivated is is quite important when it comes to achieving things in your life. I think in the in the career world, external motivation, I think is is slight is 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 somewhat important, right? Like I think you have to um, see um, progress, whether that's you know making advances in your career, you have to see progress. Maybe it's getting raises or making more money or whatever the case may be. And a lot of times when people are just starting out or they're starting something that they haven't been doing for so long, they, they, they want to, it's, it's hard to say, it's hard to, to like really feel good about what they're doing if the accolades aren't there yet. How does somebody embrace those, those difficult times um, when they're in a position, you know, when they're in, in a po- at a place in their career where they're, they're not making, you know, as much money or uh, they don't have the position that they would like to have in the future. Well, I think the basic the, the 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 question there is, you know, can I change it, you know, quickly? If you need to change it quickly, could I? I mean, I mean, I'm. So this is my philosophy. I mean, at some point, enough is enough. Okay. Uh, so I'm in this position. I'm in this job. Okay. I'm not progressing, even though I put effort in. I do good things and all these things. And, and we should not forget the fact that in most organizations, performance is not fact-basedly evaluated, okay? There's a lot of irrational factors at play, you know. 
who the person is, who the person knows, how long the person has been with the company. Very few organizations are based on true meritocracy. Okay, so chances are that you know if you're unlucky, you can be a real star, but you're not appreciated as a star because of irrational factors. Okay, I know that that is the case for you know quite many people. Okay. So that's one thing. And then you might consider, should I move on? Because someone you know, might you know, appreciate me much more here. Okay. Now, <clears throat> the other case is uh, you know, where you, you're appreciated, but you don't have you know, any progress, whatever. Uh, should you move on then into a better situation? Well, the question you just need to ask yourself is, have I preempted my opportunities here uh, to actually progress? Or have I not? And if I have not, should I try to do that or should I move on? Okay, so I'm, I, it's not like you should just preempt, you should preempt because then, you know, happiness and whatever, you know, should, would follow. Because there are factors always around you that you don't control, okay? And you need to invest yourself wisely, okay? But not just like as a default thing, okay, I was not successful, there's something wrong with my environment. Most often, it's something wrong with you. That's that's my experience. And it seems like, based on what you said, like there comes a point when you're you spent some time in something and you're looking at it like, all right, like have I done everything I can in this situation? Have I put the effort in? Have I showed up? Have I asked for help? Have I built relationships? Have I you know tried to have as um, much optimism as possible? And the, and the results still aren't coming. That's like, well, maybe it's time to just shift gears and and do something else because this isn't bringing me joy. It's not bringing me success. And, you know, then it's time to, to, to pivot. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's okay. So let's say that <clears throat> what you, what we are talking about, the situation we're talking about is something that we perceive as, okay, I'm a failure of sorts. Okay. In this, there is only one reason and one situation where failure should be truly painful. And that is when you know you have not done your best. If you feel that based on who I am, based on my capabilities, based on the conditions that I had to work under, okay, I really, really tried my best. Obviously, I can always try better, but I really, really tried. There's no reason to be disappointed with failure. Failure is inevitable if you have ambition. It, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, in, in companies when they, when they evaluate employees, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's like 90% reach their goals. How can that be? It, it, it's, it's impossible, you know. That means that the goals are not really goals, okay. It, there should be a much higher percentage of people not reaching the goals if they really have goals because they are beyond where you are today, yeah, okay. So failure is it's super important to, to have that because in failure we learn the most. So, but back to it, the only time to be really disappointed is if you had this goal and you really didn't try your best to reach it. Then you should be really upset with yourself. But this beyond that, you know, it's a learning. I guess what I'm yeah, what I'm hearing you say is like the most important thing um, when it comes to your, your job and deciding on whether or not you're going to end up sticking it out or whether you're going to end up leaving is to, um, you know, make sure that you've put forth your best effort, that you've given it all that you can, 
and that you've done your best so that if something does happen and you walk away, you're not looking back and being like, wow, like I wish I would have tried harder. Um, shifting gears a little bit, I know one of the things that you say is that um, in order to, to stay productive and to stay intrinsically motivated, people need to essentially like wipe away negativity from their life. Um, you know, how, how can somebody do that when in a way that's realistic, when, you know, stuff's going to, I mean, you know, life's going to be hard at times and there's going to be negative things that happen in their life. Like how can somebody like efficiently manage negativity? Now, I, I think that feelings of negativity, um, we can't, you know, take them out because then that means that we would need to take out the fear center, you know, in the brain or take that out, which would, would not be a good idea for us. Um, the question is if you allow yourself to stay in a negative mental state or not, or if you sort of quickly, okay, this is a signal, okay, I need to snap out of it. Because what happens when we are in a negative state, that's a pre-stage of fight or flight. Okay, so it's an early warning that mm, something is going on here now that could be a potential threat. Get ready. That's what happens. When that happens, the body gradually turns off organs that is not relevant for a fight or flight situation. Higher thinking is one of those things because it's too slow. If you come on to me with a hammer, okay, it's not like I say, Doug. Can you wait a little bit? I need a paper and pen. I need to think through the, my different options here for how to deal with that. No, I just need to act. So in, in, an, in, in a negative mental state, you, your brain is actually gradually starting to work slower. So you become a worse problem solver in that sense. There is also stress hormones like released that actually is detrimental for your immune system. Okay. So you're actually more prone to be sick, especially if you allow yourself to be chronically negative, which unfortunately I have a sense that many professionals allow themselves to be. So there's a lot, there's health at stake here, there is solutions at stake here and all these things to be in that state. So how do you deal with that? Well, if you're a person, and this is the beauty of the mind, everybody knows this by now, that the brain almost operates like a muscle. It's not a muscle, but it's plastic. So how you push it to work will also decide what it becomes good at because it strives for perfection because perfection means that it operates energy efficiently. So if I'm a person prone to negative thinking, it will be an expert in negative thinking. It will inflate the situations where I would think negative thoughts, you know. The, op the opposite is also true. If I really practice my brain to think interesting or exciting thoughts about stuff, you know, find the silver lining and stuff, find the interesting things in new things, find the interesting things in conflicting views of my own, it becomes good at that. That's how it works. One way to do this, what I do with clients that have this, like, mm, tend to view people as, you know, not treating them well or decisions as stupid or whatever, is that what you do is in your calendar, you make a repeat calendar entry every day at a certain time that suits you. Let's say it's four o'clock in the afternoon or five o'clock, whatever it is. And then you call it blame time or you call it negativity thinking time, whatever. And then you say to yourself, this time is the time during every day I'm going to think negative thoughts. And what most people realize then when they come to this time that mm, I don't have so many negative thoughts now because you, you relieve your brain of duty, on, of duty, you know, of thinking negatively before that. 
And then you summarize your negative thoughts. And then you say, hmm, I don't have so many negative thoughts. And the ones I have, do I really have a basis for them? Well, if I have a basis for them, I then have a chance to think about what causes them. And if I think about what causes them, if another person was mean to me, I actually have a chance to hmm, be more mindful about how to deal with it. Should I bring this up with Dagna that the way he addressed me in this meeting belittled me? I don't feel good about that. That's not how he usually does it. Let me bring it up with him. Okay. Yeah, I think it's really important to be able to figure out a way that works for you to, to process a lot of the negativity in your life or anger or resentment that you might have towards other people. And I think having a calendar um, reminder in there, I think can be very helpful because otherwise it just goes on, on notice and you end up carrying all this negativity with, within you towards other people. And it ends up just coming out indirectly um, in other areas of your life. Um, along those lines, like the last thing I want to talk to you about is I know that you're big on doing certain things daily. You're big on goal setting daily. You're big on journaling daily. You're, you're big on like we the, the blame you know, blaming people there daily to help process um, anger towards others. Like why is doing things, achieving things daily so important? And what are three things that you think anybody listening to this should, should do every single day to become the best version of themselves? So, so daily, uh, th there is, uh, you know, the logic is very simple. Um, what we do often, we tend to become good at. And, and my business is helping people, of course, achieve their business goals or whatever, but in the process also building new skills and building new skills is rewiring your brain, okay? So, of course, if you do that every day, the process becomes really fast and you change really fast. So that's the daily focus. Uh, three things that you should do every day. Uh, I would say that two of the things are something that superstars do uh, and, and are almost effortlessly in terms of um, you know, the energy. One is at the end of each day, you write down the mistakes you made that day. Just think about, okay, how was this day? What did I do? What meetings did I have? Let's think about this meeting. Is there anything in this meeting I should have done differently that could have been a little bit better? It could be a tiny little thing. It doesn't have to be anything profound, monumental, whatever. Just you know, write down a handful of mistakes. When we write down our mistakes, we have, a, in my experience, we, we reduce the number of mistakes by 50% easily uh, because we tend not to repeat what we write down. And if I know that I'm going to write down my mistakes, I'm much more attentive when I do stuff during the day. And this leads you to almost like uh, the same type of modus operandi, like for instance, a Rafael Nadal has in tennis, because part of their development is small tweaks to how they do things, okay? It's not this like paramount, I'm going to rebuild my backhand or whatever. It's like, mm, I tweak it a little bit, I tweak it a little bit, I tweak it a little bit. And this tweaking is also an aphrodisiac for this intrinsic motivation. So that's the first thing. Focus on your mistakes. Yeah, I know it's a negative thing, but I find that people, it's easier for, for people to think in mistakes than it is actually to think in improvements. I, I think about what that is, probably because mistakes, you know, maybe in our brain is associated with something that is dangerous and hence we are more like focusing on it. The second thing I would do is also copying something from the superstars and that is never take anything for granted. Never take anything for granted. So that means that Look in your calendar 
once a week or and then you revisit this daily and look at everything in the calendar and think about some of the stuff what could potentially go wrong because most people they think i've had 100 meetings with doug all the meetings have, have been good there's no guarantee that the 101st meeting will be good and by thinking about risks makes you much more aware of the situation and of yourself hence your learning increases so that's that's one thing the third thing that you should do daily and I have two different things you can do, but one is a little bit less energy, uh, is always have one thing every day that if you do that really well, you will feel really accomplished. So have a daily goal, like a desired outcome, an exciting outcome, and a tactics, and then evaluate that. At least one thing every day, where you really say, if I do this fairly well, I would say to myself, Stefan, great day. Okay, that's it three things, right? Write down your mistakes so that you can learn from them. And then the second thing was to, you know, just be aware of things that you might take for granted and like looking at, at that from a daily, um, a daily level. And then the third thing was to set one, one thing, one goal that if you achieve that, you would feel better about yourself. You would feel like you, you won the day and that you were successful on that day. Um, when it comes to reaching a a desired and when you when it comes to you know an exciting outcome um like how like what like how do you measure that like what's what's realistic like give me an example of something that you would do i'm i'm big it's a bit you can think in three dimensions one is of course time we mentioned that before reduce time radically for something but achieving the same or even a better result that, that's my personal favorite um, another one is, of course, increase the complexity of what you're doing. Basically, add stuff to it, but use the same time and achieving something more. And the third one, which is my second favorite, is to ask yourself, if I perform this thing better than usual, uh, what is the additional value or benefit I bring to the people dependent on, dependent on what I do? I think that also taps into something deeply evolutionary in us because as a human beings, we have one of the survival strategies we had is to survive together because we don't have fangs or claws and we have poor night vision or whatever it is. So <clears throat> being relevant and beneficial to other people is deeply rooted in us. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a good way you know, to think about it. Now, in terms of, of realism, I think, you know, what's the... And this is so interesting. What's the purpose of a goal or an, an, an outcome? Is, is really the purpose to, to reach it fully? I'm not sure about that. The purpose of it is to have to throw something out there and say, I'm going to aim to get there. Okay, let's see how far I can get. And there is learning of that. Oh, I came 80% of it. Okay, mm, why didn't I get you know, to the 20%? That's the learning you know, that you make. So I, I, I think it. I say the level of aspiration that you set for the daily goal, I think you should factor in the energy level you have. Because if, if you're on a lower energy level, like we talked about before, don't set it too high because it just becomes like a, a nervous, strange situation because the, the stakes are too high. Right. And then if you set the stakes too high and your energy is low and maybe your energy is low because... Um, you're feeling unsuccessful or your self-esteem is low, then like when you don't achieve something because you set an unrealistic goal, then you're going to feel even worse about yourself. You're going to feel even more like a, more like a failure. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's like if um, obviously I love my client work. I love my clients. I view them as being my kids, which is I think gives me uh, you know this extraordinary commitment to them. But I have days when I, uh, you know, I'm empty. Uh, but I know my, that my clients, you know, needs um, to have a session. Uh, what do I do? Well, um, I think about maybe three things we need to achieve in in a in a in a meeting. I, and I, what I tell myself is that of these three things, this is the most important thing. I'm going to actually make sure that we preempt this completely. Okay. And by do, starting to do that and seeing that it works, then all of a sudden I get more energy for the two other things. You know. It's it's about this is about it's about working to understand how your mind works, and I think that's the most important life skill there is. It seems it's also just about momentum too, and you and your mind is it thrives off these small wins and taking the baby steps, like we said, so that you feel like you're making progress in whatever you're doing. So, Stefan, this has been great. If people want to learn more about your work, they want to pick up a copy of your book. Where's the best place to do that? Well, they can go to my website, learntoloveyourwork.com. Learntoloveyourwork.com. I will make sure to include the link to that in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that we talked about as far as intrinsic motivation. Maybe it was something that we talked about as far as workplace. Maybe it was something we talked about as far as problem solving or something we talked about regarding negativity or thinking logically, whatever the takeaway was, make sure to share it and tag Stefan and tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. We once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.